look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Welcome back. You're here with David Faisal. You're on 770 CHQR on More Than Money. It's RSP season, Faisal. Tis the season. That's right. Um, you know what? There was a, an interesting report, a poll actually done uh, by our guys at CIBC, and it was looking at, in the defense of RSPs, it's titled, Dispelling Some Common Myths, and there are some, some myths. Do you contribute to an RSP? Do you not contribute to an RSP? Do you put in a TFSA or not? Right? All of these things. Interesting, the poll indicated there's a lot of confusion about this stuff, and we've got Jamie Golem back, who's a Managing Director, Tax and Estate Planning for CIBC Financial Planning and Advice with us today to help us out. Jamie, welcome back to the show. My pleasure. What are the biggest myths that Canadians believe uh, when it comes to RSPs? Well, the number one myth, and then this is something that we've gotten many questions on, so we wanted to test this with polling, uh, which we were able to prove. But uh, the most common myth is that there's no point in investing in an RSP. After all, when you take the money out of an RSP or a RIF, you're going to pay tax. So yeah. really, uh, they're pointless. And in fact, we went out there with a poll, and uh, nearly 40% of poll respondents really thought that RSPs are pointless because uh, you're going to pay tax in the future. And of course, that is completely inaccurate. All right. So walk us through why it's inaccurate. What, uh, as a general rule of thumb, what do people need to understand from a tax perspective to understand the value of an RSP? We need to understand that when you put money into an RSP, you're actually putting in pre-tax dollars. So in other words, when you earn income, you're actually paying no tax at all on that income. It goes into the RSP and it accumulates on a completely tax-deferred basis. And then when you take it out, you do pay tax on withdrawal. But when we go through the math and we have all the math in our report, effectively the rate of return on your net contribution is completely tax-free. In fact, it's just as tax-free as a tax-free savings account, which is another one of our myths. So if I can walk you through just a very simple example, if you have sure. $3,000 of income and your tax rate's 33%, uh, of course, you'll pay no tax on the $3,000 of income if you put all of that into an RSP because you get a tax deduction. So there's no tax at all. The full 3000 goes into the RSP. A 5% rate of return uh, means you'll make $150 uh, inside of the RSP. At the end of the year, it's worth 3150 If you then just cashed in, the RSP at the end of the year, and your tax rate's exactly the same of 33%, uh, you'll pay $1,050 of tax, and you'll net 2100 And that's interesting because uh, if you look at it, uh, the fact is that you earn 3000 of income. Now, if you didn't put it into your RSP, you would have paid tax. So you would really only have 2000 to invest. And at the end of the year, you have $2,100. you have made $100. That $100 on the $2,000 net contribution is a 5% right. after-tax rate of return. In other words, you're not paying any tax at all on your investment income. And that is the value of the RSP. And the math is almost exactly the same as the TFSA. The difference being that with the TFSA, you're putting in your after-tax dollars. So, you know, 3000 of employment income becomes only 2000 after, let's say, a 33% tax rate. The 2000 grows by 5% to to $2,100 in the TFSA, and that's it. No tax at the TFSA. So RSPs and TFSAs are both equally 100% tax-free. There's not advantage to one or the other unless your tax rate changes. Right. So in other words, your tax rate at the time of working is going to be different than when you retire. And for most Canadians that are working in sort of middle income or upper middle income or even high income tax brackets, your tax rate will probably be a little bit lower in retirement. 
in which case clearly the case is 100% clear that RSPs are the way to go because you get a tax deduction at a high rate and you take it in later on in retirement, you take it back at a low rate. When do you use a TFSA versus an RSP? Well, I would argue that TFSAs are good for lower-income Canadians. So I would say, look, as a rule of thumb, anyone in the lowest tax bracket, call it around forty, forty-five thousand dollars $45,000, you are already in the lowest tax bracket. You cannot get any lower. So in other words, if you're making under forty, forty-five thousand dollars $45,000 a year, I would do the TFSA. $5,500 a year of room is more than enough. If you're making forty, forty-five thousand, you're paying some taxes. Uh, you probably won't be able to afford fifty-five hundred a year of savings. So I think it's more than enough for after-tax savings. You pay a bit of tax on your income now, but that TFSA grows tax-free for life. And no matter what tax bracket you're in, even if you're in a higher bracket or you potentially could be subject to income clawbacks of you know GIS or other types of things like the GST credit, um, TFSA withdrawals do not show up on your return. So in other words, they would be completely tax-free. And, and that's where TFSA, I think, make more sense. Okay. So this, this is all the tax game, Dave. Well, I was just going to say the same thing. This right. is all about the, how the tax strategy works. It's a matter of when. Right. When do you make the deposit? When do you withdraw? It's not as simple as RSP or TFSA. If you only have, like in Jamie's example, that one-year time frame, that, that makes sense. But if you have a contribution now which you're withdrawing when you're 65, which is way down the road and you'll be at a lower tax rate, then you got to look at those numbers, which means you need to get the advice and the analysis done to see if it's better, not just make those decisions because you heard something on uh, on the yeah, TV, on the radio your, your or the TV. Or, yeah, yeah. yeah, And exactly. so, you know, this is where a lot of people get concerned about that. More importantly, we're hearing more and more about how Revenue Canada is being... Um, um, more diligent about um, viewing at people's taxes and so forth. And so Jamie also talked about tax cheats. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you if you read the article. I did read that article. So Jamie, I want to kind of just touch on that as well. There's been a lot of uh, conversation about how Revenue Canada or CRA has been going after uh, uh, individuals. We hear about Panama Papers and so forth, but they're really not focused on Panama Papers alone. They're focused on people who are average Canadians. Average Canadians, yeah. So tell us what you found in your in your uh, um, analysis about about tax cheats and so forth. Yeah, well, there were a couple of cases that came out just the last couple of weeks, one in Canada and the U.S., that caused me to really look at this issue in in a little bit more detail. And, you know, most Canadians are honest, and in fact... Uh, we find that, uh, you know, reporting compliance is basically 95% accurate, according to a study about 10 years ago. And so now as most people are honest and most people are reporting all their income and, you know, deducting appropriate expenses. However, there are some that are not. And uh, people do try to hide things playing what they call the audit lottery, meaning you win the audit lottery if you get away with something and you hope they don't just pick you. And the most common example of that is individuals that are self-employed. Mm-hmm. So people that are self-employed and have to report all their income, uh, in some cases it's a cash business, it's not fully reported. But the more uh, common issue, of course, because cash thing, unless you really keep it in cash in a, under your mattress or keep it in a safety deposit box, actual hard cash, um, you know, income can be traced. Deposits are traced. You know, it's all look, it all can be looked at by CRA. The difference is expenses. So people claim a lot of personal expenses as business expenses, and they literally try to bury that on their return. And that was the example. Uh, one of the cases was a Calgary uh, taxpayer um, who paid his wife $12,000 a year, but on his tax return, he hid it as office equipment. 
<laughs> and hoping that CRA would never look at office equipment sounds reasonable. Of course, they did come in and look at it, and they found that, first of all, it wasn't office equipment. Second of all, it was salary paid to his wife. Third of all, it didn't qualify because his employer did not you know, agree that he was required to hire, out of his own money, an assistant. Second case was a U.S. case. Uh, we had an Oregon accountant who was a tax preparer of other people, and he literally claimed about $60,000 of expenses, including the use of his own home. But in the U.S., there's actually a special form that you have to fill out to claim expenses, and in fact, he never completed the form. And the judge asked him, so why didn't you fill out this form uh, to claim your home expenses? His answer was, well, doing so would have been a red flag for audit. <laughs> crazy thing to say. Of course, both taxpayers lost their cases. And, and the point of writing the article is really just to show that we do have what's called a tax gap in Canada, and that's something that measures the difference between the total amount of taxes that would have been paid if every Canadian fully paid all their income and took all the appropriate deductions, etc., um, compared to the actual tax actually paid. So for 2015, the tax gap was about $8.7 billion, which sounds a bit high. But it's only about 6.5% of the total 2014 income revenue. So there is a gap. CRA is going after it. And I think, you know, coming back to a full circle, you know, RSPs and TFSAs are 100% approved ways to save on taxes. And you really don't need to start resorting to questionable expenses uh, to try to get ahead of the tax game. Man, thanks, Jamie, very much. We, uh, we, ha we have to run, but we always appreci uh, appreciate you clarifying some of these uh, complex issues. My pleasure. Thank you. I'm not sure what I'd be more afraid of, CRA busting me or my wife when I called her office equipment <laughs> busting me. <laughs> Listen, we've got, a, we've got a seminar coming up here. Uh, remind everybody for us. Yeah, you can let Dave know how he would feel <laughs> or how he should feel by telling his wife that she might be office equipment on Tuesday, February 27, 7 p.m. at the Oak Ridge Co-op Wine and Spirits. Here's a point where tax is a key thing. How do you go through retirement while minimizing tax? We will talk to you about our tax strategy as you go through retirement. Again, on Tuesday, February 27th, 7 p.m. at the Oak Ridge Co-op Wine and Spirits. You need to reserve your seats. So give us a call, 966-8400. That's 966-8400. Or go to our website at morethanmoneyradio.com. Join us after the break as we continue our series on divorce. And we'll talk a little bit about um, the separation of assets. Not an easy topic. You're listening to 770 CHQR and More Than Money. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.